Listeners, welcome back to the Business of Wellness. I hope you are having a wonderful Thursday so far. Right here in New York, I'm looking out the window where it is snowy and honestly disgusting. I mean, it's just sort of miserable. So I really hope that today's episode gives you a lift. My guest today is an incredible CEO and author, Rajiv Kapoor. He is the author of Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Honestly, a fantastic title and a fantastic read. It's also an Amazon number one bestseller. Um, And we get into a variety of different topics today. I think you are going to find Rajiv's background and experience so interesting. We actually spent a lot of time on that during our chat um, because he got his start leading e-commerce for Dell Technologies. So there is just so much to cover on that front. We could have spent, honestly, all day talking about tech innovation, the future of AI, where each one of us see that going. We also got into an interesting discussion about leadership and activism at work and what that really means and looks like and how wellness brands should be applying uh, stakeholder capitalism or should be understanding stakeholder capitalism in order to find the causes and the ex- the employee experiences that really work best for your specific and unique brand and the experience that you want your customers to have with your brand. Today, Rajiv is the CEO of 1105 Media, which is a B2B media company, and we talk very much about the current landscape, the media landscape, how we often find ourselves speaking in echo chambers. There's just so many topics covered on today's episode. So I would love to hear what you think about today's conversation. I would love to hear from you, period. So please feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review, of course. And if you're not yet following the Business of Wellness, please hit that follow plus sign. It's right at the top of your podcast listening screen, I believe. I'm talking about Apple. I mean, we all know I'm talking about Apple. It's the little plus sign right at the top there. Go ahead and hit follow if you're not yet doing so already. If you're watching on YouTube, welcome. Hi. Hello. Uh, I would also love to hear from you, so please feel free to leave a comment below. And I cannot wait to hear what you think. You can always find me on social at Jacqueline London RD and on TikTok at Jacqueline London. And I cannot wait to hear what you think about today's episode. So enjoy this fantastic conversation with Rajiv Kapoor. Okay, we're we're live. We're ready. Rajiv Kapoor, welcome to the business of wellness. What a treat! I'm very excited about this conversation. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. I think I'm more excited than you. <laughs> I don't. Rajiv just showed me his um, outside his outside weather situation from Newport Beach, California, where I have to say I'm deeply jealous. I'm cold, and I have many, I have the heat on and I'm looking outside at a wet New York city, which is a a bit, it's a bit bleak. It's a little bit depressing today, but it just means it's just an excuse to get to Newport is what I say. That's it. Yeah, there you go. So you got to come out. Exactly. Exactly. I've got to come out. So I have an important, an important question for you that is not, it's not actually new to this podcast. So my listeners will have heard this before. And now I think it, we might just make it a thing, but you are the perfect person to ask this question. And it is a little Uh bit of a personal question, but I will tell you that there is absolutely no right answer to this. So I just want you to answer this like gut reaction. Uh Would you describe yourself as a product person or as a brand person? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, 
it's interesting. I think there was a part of part of my life when I was very I was very much a product person, but I think today I'm a brand person. Ooh. If that, yeah. Yes. Because I think here's the thing. Like, I mean, if you're asking for me, so you're asking me, right? How me personally? Yes. Right? Yes. So I th- I think when you're younger, you focus on yourself, the product of who you are, because you're trying to impress, you know, your your bosses. You're trying to move up in your career. So you're really demonstrating, you know, the product that you have to offer, which is yourself, right? Right. How aggressive yeah. are you willing to be? How committed are you? You know, how, how are you in terms of being able to deliver on time? And then as you kind of move up the ladder, and you, in my case, become a CEO, you're now about being a brand ambassador for your business, for your life, for everything you do. And, you know, and so, so now when I do these podcasts, it's very much about trying to promote the business promote the mm. book and if it helps promote me a little bit with the audience then then that's a blessing great answer that's a very great answer when you so when you got your your start in your career and and forgive me were you you didn't st- did you start at dell no i started at gateway the dell competitor okay okay yeah. wow <laughs> so, so i started there so that was like okay and i'm and i just turned 55 a couple of months ago so this was i was 21 22 years old and I was living in Southern California and it was, I was in the Los Angeles area and I had just completed an internship where I was lived, where I lived in Paris. I lived in Sydney, Australia and the company I was working for was struggling and they were having some challenges. And so my mentor there said, Hey, I don't know if this company is going to make it, but there's a great company in South Dakota called gateway 2000. And I heard of it because <laughs> the company I was in did, we were doing technology adjacent products, stuff like that. So he goes, and they're looking yeah. for salespeople, looking for marketing people. You should consider it. So I did a phone interview, sight and scene. I was offered a hundred percent commission sales job and on a Wednesday. And they said, yeah, you can, you can have the job, but you have to be here on Monday for training. And so in South Dakota, I'm like, well, okay. So I packed up my Honda and beat up a Honda and drove across country and I had no place to live and found, found, rented a room from a guy whose two sons had went off to college and, Stayed there for a little while and then found my found an apartment later on. But yeah, for the next for the next two years, I, I was in. I lived in Iowa, drove wow. through Nebraska to get to work in South Dakota because it was in Sioux City, and so Sioux City is a tri-state area. And so, so did I did that for a couple of years and it was really awesome. And then from there, after a couple of years and after dealing with fifty-six degree below zero wind chill factor of, of snow and not having much of a social life, I said this is. This LA Southern California, California boy cannot keep doing this, and oh. so I decided to um, apply to Dell. And as luck would have it, I was lucky enough to to get the job, and I went down to Austin, Texas, which was a was from a culture perspective and from a quality of life perspective, at least for me, yeah. was a thousand times better. And so I did that, and so uh, and a year into that is when I got to work directly for Michael. That was awesome. Wow, amazing! I mean. That's an amazing, what an amazing risk though. I love that you just sort of went for it. I think we, we don't take enough time to kind of appreciate the risk that comes with any type of geographical relocation of any sort. And you had certainly had some major ones. So that's impressive. I mean, that's, and Austin seems like a great place. I mean, I've, I've been a few times, but I haven't spent significant time there. I feel like now it's becoming the place. Lots yeah, Austin's kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, I, I tell people, look, if California fall off the face of the earth, then I'd move to Austin, Texas. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, but Austin, Austin's great. It's, it's a great town. It's a, good, it's a college town. It's got tech. It's, yeah. it's growing. It's vibrant. 
you know, it's got all the problems now with a big city with traffic and everything like that, but, but it's a great town for you know, great people and a lot of great friends there. And it's, it's awesome. It's, you know, it can be, it's really beautiful. It's got four seasons. It's, it's fun to be, it's a fun place to, to live and party and, and have a good time. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So, so one thing that I have heard you speak about before, but I, I have to let our listeners in on this one. I just feel like it's only fair. It's only fair, Rajiv, is you, I've heard you speak about the, the selling, um, selling a pen, right? Like the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street, sort of the thing that Wolf of Wall Street kind of blew up for us, which was the idea of, all right, sell me this pen and tell me why it's amazing. I'd love for you to explain the kind of sales mindset, the mentality behind that strategy. And if you have any other kind of experience that you would share with us of what that was like, what, what other kind of hacks or strategies or um, ways of, of marketing one's product to someone else, what, what that's like and what that was like for you at the time that you were at Dell. Yeah, I know. So it's interesting. You know, the whole so when I saw Wolf of Wall Street and the Jordan Belfort did the sell, sell me the pen thing, yeah. yeah, I remember calling a couple of guys I used to work with at Dell. We, we laughed at that scene because we did that <laughs> back in the early 90s. Like when we were interviewing salespeople, we would say, hey, sell me this pen. So we'd literally make them go into a room and we would call that room and we'd be on the phone because we were hiring inside salespeople. And right. unlike him, the way he did it was, well, do you need a pen? And, you know, okay, here you go. Buy it. You know, so his was fairly benign. We actually wanted to go a little bit more in depth in terms of, of how that person went about selling the pen. Like we really wanted them to sell the pen. And, and it was over the phone. So it's not like you were sitting across from somebody, right? So I think in the movie, they're like, you know, here's a contract. Oh, you don't have a pen? Let me sell you a pen. Oh, okay. You know, so, but in this case, it was we really wanted to understand. And so at the time, we just wanted to listen to how they were going about talking about the pen. Later on, we would call it the FBI method. No, no, not the Federal Bureau of Investigations, but we yeah. the, the, the method we would call it was FBI, which is Feature Benefit Incentive. So tell us the feature Ooh. of this pen. So what, so what is this feature of this pen? Oh, it feels, you know, the feature of this pen is that it's, oh, it's got an extra long cartridge for ink. It's whatever, right? It's yeah. biodegradable. Well, whatever it might be, right? It right. lasts longer, whatever. The, the benefit is that, oh, it la you know, the benefit, what are the benefits of this pen? It feels more comfortable in your hand. It doesn't leak. It's got the special, whatever, or it's got the special cap where it prevents it from melting in the heat or whatever, you know, so, so whatever right. it might be, right? And then the incentive is, oh, and if you buy 10, you get one free. Or the reason why you want this pen over other pens is because it lasts 30% long or whatever it might be, right? So, so what are those yeah. features of the pen? What are the benefits of the pen? And then what's the incentive? And if you're in the world of sales, in the world of marketing, whatever it might be, business development, I want you to think of those three things. What is the feature you have? Yeah. What is the benefit? And then what's the incentive? So for example, in your, when you're not doing this, you've got this amazing wellness, you know, uh, lifestyle brand where you're talking about healthy eating and all those things, right? What's the feature of that? You know, the feature is, oh, it's, it's uh, easy to do. It's, um, you've got these amazing different recipes or whatever, right? The benefits are you live longer. You have more mental clarity and the incentive, you know, whatever, right? So, yeah, you know, and then what it. are the incentives to do that, right? So, it's the same kind of process, and so, so that's so that's what we did with that pen, that with that pen idea, and we and we always then we also wanted to make sure they were always closing, right? And it's so funny yes. because there's that movie that came out, Glenn Gary, Glenn yeah. Lock, the ABC yes. always be closing, right? And Love so it. we would do the same thing with that. It's like you always have to be asking for the sale. You want to, you know, we always wanted to make sure people are asking those those leading questions. So, what do you think about that? How does that sound to you? If you can get them saying, oh, that sounds good, or how's that leading? You, know, you get that going three or four times, then chances are you're probably going to get them to say yes. 
so interesting. But I also love, there's some real beauty in a good acronym and FBI certainly is an amazing one. So <laughs> I love that. Go. I feel like I need a little, I need a little FBI training. We might have to do that at the end. Um, okay. To, to, to bring us to present day and we'll, we'll go back, we'll go back and forth a little bit, but I want to speak to you about, about the book. And I also want to speak to you about something that you talk about a lot in the book, which is enlightened leadership. And the, the thing that struck me about this and about your answer, which is a perfect, perfect sort of starter for us in this conversation is that the, the differences in being product focused versus being brand focused. And when you are the product that can take a lot of different forms, then you really sometimes have to be the brand person. If you've already done a certain degree of work to be a product person. Right. So I wonder if you could speak to the difference between being a doer or feeling like you're the person that needs to do all of the things versus being a leader and then tell us about enlightened leadership. Um, so look, I, I think early on, it's interesting. I had this conversation with a member of my team early this week and she's struggling mm -hmm. because she feels like she's got to do everything. And yeah. what happens when you do that is you end up becoming the smartest person in the room. Mm. And that's a recipe and, and, and that's a recipe for disaster. And it's interesting because so we, so we ended up, and the reason why that's the, the reason why we did this is because she did a 360 analysis on herself where in a 360 analysis where you have a consultant comes in and they send a, they send a survey to your direct reports and then they, they ask questions like, Oh, how effective are they? What do you do here? How do you feel about decisions? Whatever they ask, there's like a hundred different questions they ask and you get a result, you get this report back. And so full 360 assessment on your leadership skills, your leadership style. Mm. And hers came back. It was interesting. And she was kind of bummed because she's working so hard and came back as saying people are afraid to make decisions because she, they feel like she's the only one that can make a decision. And when you look at my management team, that's not the way I structured my management team. Right. But for some reason, she structured her, 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 her group to one where she's got a, where she's the bottleneck for everything. And in my management team, everything gets delegated down. Right. Mm. So I empower everybody on my management team to do what they need to do. And I give them the tools and I am far from the smartest person in the room and they know that. And so, so the reason why you don't want to be the smartest person in the room is because if you are, then no one's going to come up with ideas. They're going to wait for you to do it. Yeah. No, you know, they're always going to expect you to have an answer. They're not going to come up with their own answers. You know, they're going to wait for you to, to take the next step rather than take the next step on their own because they're afraid that if they do, you're just going to beat them down anyways. And so that's kind of what was happening in her group. And she was actually kind of bummed by that because she didn't think she was doing that. And the feedback came and said that she was doing it. So now she's got to change. So we've got now, a, so we've got now a counselor, uh, not a counselor, like a little bit of a, of a leadership coach working with her a little bit because it's it's hard for me to do that because it's, at some point it's not like talking to your kids, so you want to bring someone totally. from outside to do it. Yeah, and so so she's doing that, and so and, and she's listening and, and she's doing a great job with it. And but the most important thing is, is you just you don't want to be that smartest person in the room, and mm. and if you are, it's either your fault or it's time for you to change the room, right? Either you have to change yeah. or the room has to change, and it, and if it's because you're doing that because you don't trust them. Then you have to make a change with your team, or if you do trust them, but, you, but you're the bottleneck, then you personally have to change in terms of how you do that. So, so that's so that's yeah. the whole idea. Of, I, I think the first part of your question does that answer like the, the, the totally, the totally. And I, I'm I'm interested in the word that you just used, which is trust, because this was going to be my next question on that one. Which is, it's it's tricky. It's a tricky situation sometimes I think because you can tell people like you can say I trust you I trust you implicit like you might say that to team members right but how you actually model that behavior can be really different right 
So I, I, I think trust, I think the challenge people have, and, I'll, and I talk about this in the book, mm. is that they immediately go to trust. And I think that's the wrong T word to talk about first. Yeah. Trust is an outcome of transparency. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the problem leaders have is that they're not transparent enough in order to gain that trust. Yes. So in this, so so in this case, so in this case, this leader wasn't being transparent enough with what she wanted to have done. And the team didn't understand, even though she's trusting them to do, to do it, she wasn't transparent with her thoughts. She wasn't transparent with what she needed. She w- and they weren't transparent back. So the whole two-way communication wasn't clear. And if we had not done this survey, we probably would have gone on forever, right? And right, so, right. so so, there's that. So if you want to build a trustworthy, if you want to build an organization based on trust, you mm. got to be fully transparent. And nothing was more important for me in that when COVID hit, right? Because when COVID yes. hit, I lost half my business overnight. And in, in a yeah. 24-hour window, it, our business was doing this, it was growing, doing this. And then literally in a 24-hour window, we did that. Right, mm. like we, we were going 100 miles an hour, just slammed to a wall. The car shatters, pieces everywhere, and we had to recover from that whole thing. And we did, and we're doing fine. But there was that 24, 48, 48 hour window where, you know, you didn't know. I didn't know. No one knew what was going on, and there was no case study to go read because there were no case right. studies. There was no mentor. Right. You know, there was no there was no mentor to call because no right. one had been through this right. before. Yeah. Right, and then and then some ding dongs decided to make it a political hot potato, and it's like, oh come on. You know, you know, people, people are in fear of their lives. And those that weren't in fear for their lives were in fear for their jobs. And right. so, and so I had to just be very transparent with the organization and saying, look, I, I can't, I couldn't say you need to trust me. I need to say, here's why you need to trust me first before they can trust mm. me. I had to lay it all out for them, and which I did. We had a big town hall with everybody. I said, here's the situation. Here's the problem. And they're like, oh, well, why don't we go get the government money? And we, well, we don't qualify for the government money. And here's why. Right. Right. And, and, and I'm proud of the fact that we did not take a dollar of government money. We did not take a dollar of taxpayer money to survive. We did not do that, which is really exciting. And you know, we did some pay cuts, we did some furloughs, and we did some layoffs. And we, but we only did those in our events teams because half my yeah. business was events. And there was no right. choice there. We had no choice because there's just no work. And so, but we were able to bring almost, we were able to bring all those people back. We were able to restore the pay cuts within five months of doing them, six months of doing them. And we've been doing well ever since. And so, so that, but in order, but I needed them to trust me, but but I needed them to trust me. But before I, before they could trust me, I had to be fully transparent with them. Yeah. So can you speak a little bit more about, about that? So what, what was the action that you took that, that shifted the business model from in person to, um, to a more digital first platform? So half the business was events and half the business was already digital. Got it. So digital was, so 1105 Media is a B2B media and marketing Mm. player, right? We talked about media earlier, right? Yeah. And so, and so um, we talked about that before we went live, but you know, it's interesting because in the, in the B2B world, business to business, B2B media is nine to five Monday through Friday. Like no one ever goes to like IBM's website just for fun after work, right? No, no, yes. no one goes. To, you know, it's a no, great no point. Go, yeah, no, no one's going to go to Google or, or Microsoft Cloud Services website on the weekend because right. they're bored, right? Or laying in bed. Oh, I wonder what Microsoft <laughs> Cloud Services is doing today, right? So no right. one does that, right? So B two B media is nine to five Monday through Friday. It's very much like a regular type of 
company, you know, in terms of nine to yeah. five, it's almost like a retail hour type of thing. And so, you know, um, so we had to, so our business, the 50% of this digital is digital transformation, lead gen, marketing agency work, webinars, webcasts, digital summits. So we, we already had that kind of foundation in place from a digital yeah. perspective. So there was a two, like I mentioned before, when COVID hit, we had about a 24 to 40 hour window where we were kind of paralyzed on the event side. We didn't know what to do. Right. And then finally, uh, I woke up one morning and said, all right, let's go figure it out. You know, yeah. you know and hopefully, and I told the team, I said, guys, in 20 years, someone at Harvard's going to write a case study on what we and others did at this moment. And that really yeah. galvanized them around what to do. And so the team went off and did it. And I think we were the very first company, I think we were probably, if not one of them, we were probably the first company launching a virtual, full virtual event with over close to 2,000 attendees within 12 to 14 wow. days of Trump announcing the, the state of emergency and shutting everything down. So we did all that within two weeks. And two days were lost just as kind of, you know, whining and complaining to ourselves, you know? And so, yes. yeah, we did that. We did that so fast. And so, but, you know, you put on your big boy pants and you, and you go figure it out and, you know, and, yeah. you, and, and you go and, and you try. And that's what we did. So what is the difference? I mean, there's many differences, but what, what are some of the distinct differences that, especially now in 2022, having the perspective of, of really knowing both of these different lead generation avenues very well. What are some of the biggest differences between lead gen in person versus online? Besides everything. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, I, I think here's the thing, right? So if, if you look at the way we do our events, our events are education and training conferences. Yeah. So the value we provide is educating the workforce and making mm. that workforce stronger, better, more efficient. You know, so we do it in the big data and analytics space through our company, through my company called TDWI, that's T like Tom, mm -hmm. D as David, W as in Whiskey, I as Media. And then we also do it through our Converge business where we have, where we do events in the Microsoft stack and those events are called VS Live events. And mm -hmm. it's all around Microsoft, the Microsoft stack of, from Visual Studio to what's yeah. going on with fixed reality and all kind of the metaverse mm -hmm. and all those types of things and what's going on in AI and machine learning. So it's all, all the things around Microsoft and the development of, of the Microsoft stack, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're educating and training developers, big data analytics providers, people like that. So when you're coming to our event, it's not like going to a trade show, like a CES type of a show where you're spending hundred bucks. The cost to attend one of our shows is like two to 2000 to $2,500. And you're coming for five days right. and you're sitting for five days. And you're going through all the different classes and the trainings. You can get a certification process as well. And there's sponsors and vendors you can go interact with and meet with. But the real value of that, and what we found here is, it's kind of like that whole thing, right? If you think about Peloton, right? Peloton yeah. grew like crazy during COVID, right? Yeah. Well, now Peloton's doing is on the way down because people <laughs> want to go to the gym. Well, right. why do you want to do that? You want to go out, you want to meet people, you want to be around, human nature is you want to be around people. Right. And we're not, we're not built right. to be isolated. And so what we're seeing here now is that, you know, people really value that face-to-face, -face, the value building those one-on-one -on -one connections, they value on building those relationships. They value on the networking opportunities. They value on hearing, oh, there might be a job open here. Let me go check out that job opening, whatever the case might be, or, you know, and just right. working on those things and building those things, you know, and, and meeting people who potentially could become partners, clients, mentors. That's really valuable to the face-to-face -face event space. And I think we're seeing that. Like our, our events we had in Q4 of this year, or the, right yeah. now. We, we had two big events in November and they, they, and they were, they were kind of pre COVID levels in terms of their attendance. So that's really wow. exciting. And so, 
so we'll see where it goes. You know, we're kind of on our way back to covering the event side, and so we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's what that's what's really exciting about the event side of that lead gen world, which is it's all about that one-on-one personal connection. Totally, totally. So what, and in the digital space, what are, where is, where is your focus been from on lead generation? And and I know that you made a shift to becoming more agency focused. So I wonder if you could speak to that as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the digital transformation, the digital media side of our house is continues to do very well. It's still growing. It's, it's still the most profitable part of our business. The agency work we're doing now is starting to rise. On the mm. agency side, what we did was back when COVID hit, we launched uh, an agency that provides B2B, that provides kind of basically everything that a normal agency, marketing agency does, we can do. Yeah. The only thing we don't do is we don't do social media and we don't yeah. do PR. But everything else yeah. we can do, whether it's SEO, whether it's put on an event for you, whatever you know you want infographics done, right. graphic work done, you need a website done, whatever we can do, we do everything for you, right? Right. And, you, and so we do all that stuff for you. So that's like a typical, what a typical creative agency would do. We can do that for you as well. Yeah. But we only, but we know our real house is B2B. So we don't do it for like Nike or Adidas or anything like that. We do it for, you know, Amazon Web Services yeah. or we'll do it for Dell or whatever, right? So we'll do it for like yeah. these B2B technology companies is where is, is our kind of our real house. But we do it kind of for everybody. We do. We recently did a couple of projects for a couple of different investment banks and stuff like that. So, so we kind of expand out. And we also do custom events. So people sometimes will come to us and they'll form out their, oh, we have a President's Club President's event that we need to put on or the CEO Circle of Excellence event we want to put on where they bring in 50 of the top salespeople. We'll put on that for you as well. So because we have such a big buying power with the hotels and everything that we do our normal events. Yeah. So people come to us and we have a bigger buying power to do that. So so that's, that's the agency side. On the digital media side, on the media side, there, you know, there it's all about the database. We have this amazing database, and mm. we're always cultivating that database, building that database. And you got to be really nimble now because now you got GDPR, you got CCPA, you got all these certain privacy rules. You know, in yeah. the next you know, in the next few months or a year, cookies are going to go away from Google, which I think, right. are, you know, which I think is going to help and so help us because we have that audience and we have yeah. you know, we have fifty six different brands. And so we have an audience built in and we can hopefully provide really good value to our partners to say, look, here are the people that are really interested in this segment you know, or really interested in, in improving their business from this perspective. You, you should maybe think about talking to them. And so that's what we do. Wow. Wow. Interesting. I, I'm very curious about the impact of this the co- I don't even know how to, I, I was about to say cookie removal, which actually sounds very interesting coming from a dietitian, the cookie removal. <laughs> but but what, I'm interested in that. So so this is happening, I think, is it March of next year? Is it, it's, it's a, a few months from now. Yeah, I think so. I think it's in a few months. Okay. Yeah. 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 How, what, what is the impact of, of this, um, of this change with, cookies kind of being removed from this, from, from digital search, from Google search. How, how do you see this impacting brands and, um, and lead generation from an SEO perspective? I don't know if it'll have that big of a deal from an SEO perspective yeah. because SEO is all about becoming stronger and being above the fold on your Google right. search. So, so if I, right. I was going to search, you know, um, wellness, business wellness practitioners mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. then hopefully right. Jacqueline London shows up at the top, right? <laughs> and so- I gotta work on mine. 
right? But, but you know but what yes. I mean? And so, yeah. and, but if it doesn't, but that's got, uh, that's not really a cookie thing as opposed to just really yeah. focusing on yeah. how to better your SEO, right? But right. I think what's going to happen is that people that already have audiences built in, yeah. and like we do, for example, through our different brands, right. you know, we want, you know, the, in the, you know, like how it's, I think you're going to start, I think you're going to start, I believe, if I understand what's happening properly, yeah. you're going to start to see these, you know, these retargeting ads that follow you anywhere you go. Yes. Oh, those God. are going to start yes. to diminish and all that. So, so the branding of the banner ads, the branding of those ads in, on a website, and a lot of these websites make money through advertising, and you know, we do too. Right. Um, but those are going to be big, become a bit more poignant because it's real sponsors. It's real people who really feel like they've got a solution for you. It's not random mm. stuff. It's not like you went to, it's not like the Nordstrom's, you went to Nordstrom's and all of a sudden the Nordstrom ad from, from shoes is following you wherever you go, right? It's, right. Real, it's real relevant stuff. Hopefully you're being served now, real relevant content from a branding yeah. advertising perspective. So here's, so I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit because I really want to talk about the book and I know that you started writing the book during, during lockdown. And I wonder if I, I want to get to the idea of enlightened leadership and where, where that came, how you found that to, to manifest for you as CEO of 11.05 and, and what are some of the, the kind of on the ground experiences that you've had with enlightened leadership? Like what really reinforced this as a thing that, that you wanted to write more about? That's a good question. So look, you know, uh, Jacqueline, um, I had the idea, the concept for the book had been in my head for a little while, for a couple of years, mm. and I had notes kind of scribbled everywhere. Yeah. And when, 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 when on March 14th, when everything got shut down, um, a couple of things happened. Number one is we had to get my son home from Paris. He was doing a study abroad program. You know, we had to get him home like literally within hours. And then, uh, and then from there, because you didn't know what was going on. No one knew what was going right. on. I mean, what if he got right. it there and he was sick? What would happen? And, yeah. You know, and I, I'm a member of this organization called YPO. So if anything would happen, I know I could get people to help me there in Paris. So that was fine. But but still a stress when you have your son out right. there, a child out there, right? You just, of course. So that was kind of going on. And then the business stuff was going on. And then, you know, my, you know, and then just kind of dealing with everything, you just didn't know what to do. And right. it's interesting, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know how it happened, but I had a little bit of an epiphany, right? So the epiphany was when you get on an airplane, what does the flight attendant do in the safety, in the safety procedures? What, 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 are, what, what, what do they do? What, what do they say? They say, it's oh, your, your seatbelt, own right? Mask. Put yeah. your own mask on first. That's yeah. the first. That's one of the things they say. In case of a problem, put on your own mask first. The reason why they do that is because if you're incapacitated, you can't help the people sitting next to you. So I realized I had to put on my own mask. And I hadn't done that before. And mm -hmm. writing this book was my, was my way of putting on my own mask first. Amazing. And that was the and that was a little epiphany I had was I, I needed to do, do that. So I started writing the book. I did the outline. I filled in some pages. I did some things. And I was scattered brain all over the place. I mean, none of the stuff connected. Chapter stuff that's in chapter ten was I talked about in chapter two. Stuff that I talked about in chapter three was in chapter one, and, and none, none of the stuff <laughs> ever connected and everything like that. So it was just all kind of scattered brain. And so, but I had a bunch of notes. I had a bunch of stuff. I'm like, well, I can do something with this. So. I reached out. I got connected to a buddy of mine who wrote a book. He, he introduced me to his publisher, and I talked to this guy, Adam. He's an amazing guy. And, and Adam said, oh, yeah, well, we'll help you. And so he got me an editor who took, put all my thoughts together and all that stuff and took all that what I had. And then he, he would point out where I had gaps, and I'd fill in some of those gaps. He'd go back and edit it. And then 
they um, would then bring on someone to help me if I was stuck somewhere or if I needed it. Because one of the hardest things to do in these books is the right transition from chapter to chapter. Yes. And so you you were asking me earlier, what's one of my favorite part of the books? I think part of my I think my favorite part of the books are the little stories that I come up with in the books, yes. talking about you know. So for example, I talk about oh, this guy was this and he was this and he was this amazing player, da 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 da. da. But then he then he got HIV. But the next thing you know, you find out after reading about two pages, you realize at the end it talks about Magic Johnson, how Magic Johnson overcame HIV and he became this yeah. amazing spokesman for HIV prevention and fighting HIV. And you could argue that he was one of the people who helped come up. If it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have brought the eyeballs to it or whatever, right? We talk the same thing about Steve Jobs or or Tony Shea from Zappos and his Mm -hmm. role of customer service, right? We talk, you know, all those things, right? And then there's stories in the book about, you know, and I think probably one of my favorite stories in the book and what I think really signifies enlightened leadership is the story of when, you know, the the Mercedes dealership in South Africa. I don't know if you remember that story in the book. Yes. But the Mercedes dealership in South Africa. Yes, I would love for you to share this, yeah. Yeah, so 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 the Mercedes dealership in South Africa was was the most was the most underperforming. I'm sorry, not dealership. The manufacturing plant was the most underperforming manufacturing facility in in in, in Africa. And you know, it was apartheid. You know, it was the remnants of apartheid. Mandela was just kind of being released from jail. And you know, so you had all those going on, and they were just didn't want to. They were just they were struggling with with working there. Right. The, yeah. But when but when Mandela said, "Hey, he wanted his Mercedes to be made by that plant," those people on that plant went absolutely crazy, happy, with excitement and joy, and they transformed into the best performing, you know, plant right. in Africa. Right. And that to me kind of signifies enlightened leadership. And like I, at the time, I didn't have a name for it. And mm. when I wrote it. And because I'd been playing around with the word awakened leadership, and but people mm. have kind of co-opted that word awakened to be more woke, even though right. even though woke is right. even though woke is considered anti-racist. Right. Okay, fine. So I didn't want to deal with that nonsense, and I don't want to feel right. like having that fight. And so yeah. I kind of so this idea of enlightened leadership is how do you become more enlightened as a leader? And 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 to me, enlightened leadership is an extension of servant leadership. Right? Yes. And servant leadership, if you go back and look at the roots of servant leadership. Servant mm-hmm. leadership came from the church. And yeah. servant leadership says, Jacqueline, I work for you. What do you yeah. need? I might be the CEO, but what tool do you need? How can I help you be successful? What can I what can I do to make you feel successful within the walls of the business? Right? Yeah. And that's yeah. servant leadership. And that's what servant leadership is. And whether you're and look, and Simon Sinek talks about servant leadership and you know, uh, Tony Robbins, I mean, you know, whatever, right? Tim Ferriss, all these guys talk about it, right? And you know, it is it has been the basis of leadership since, you know, since the, probably the 80s when the, yeah. when the term was first coined. And so, and it's great. And I had argued, yes. I think I'm a servant leader. And so, yeah. but what happened was to me, servant leadership wasn't going to be enough anymore because in the next three years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z mm-hmm. and millennials. And for the first time, women will be the majority of the workforce. So think about that. By 2025, women will be the majority of the workforce. And they require a slightly different type of leadership because they are much more in tune with what's happening in the world because they feel like the current generations have left them behind, right? You see, yeah. and I don't want to get political, but we see what happened with Roe v. Wade. You're seeing what's happened yeah. with environmental climate change stuff, diversity issues, social justice concerns, inclusion, mm-hmm. whatever the case might be. You've got, you've got 
certain people like Kanye West out there doing certain things, which boggles my mind. So you've yeah. all those things going out there. And so, but all those things affect people, how they work. They do, right. they just do. Right. And right. so enlightened leadership says, takes the basis of servant leadership and says, Jacqueline, not only am I here to help take care of you within the walls of the business, what can I do to help you feel successful outside the walls of the business? Mm. And that's what enlightened leadership is. And there are five key pillars of enlightened leadership. And they start with gratitude, it's mm. resilience, it's empathy, it's ac accountability, and that T word, transparency. Those yeah. five key things make up the North Star of enlightened leadership. And if you want to be an enlightened leader to really lead your company in the next 24 to 36 months, as Gen Zers come into the workforce, as more and more millennials grow up the ladder, as more and more women enter the workforce, you have to have, I think, those five key attributes. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. And I don't care what anybody says. There's mm. nothing anybody can do to stop it. Elon Musk can't stop it. Bill Gates can't stop it. Not that they're trying to. But you just can't yeah. stop it. It's coming. Because of the natural evolution of, of society. So I have a bunch of... Let's, first of all, I just want to share with our listeners that in case you weren't listening quite so closely to that, it spells great. The acronym spells great, which is amazing. I love that. Love a good acronym, as we've already discussed. But... Um, but what I, I have a, a number of questions on this topic because I, I one thing that I am constantly thinking about or seeing or we're seeing examples of this in certainly in the current news cycle, which is everywhere, all at once, all the time, <laughs> all everything. Um, I, I wonder if you can speak to and if if you have any thoughts on servant leadership versus stakeholder capitalism right like the the concept of stakeholder capitalism are are they are they fundamentally intertwined or do you feel like like as part of enlightened enlightened leadership there is a distinction and there is maybe sometimes there are certain boundaries that every leader may need to to find for themselves or find within their own um company's purpose yeah no that's a great question so look Look, I'm a capitalist, right? I'm a CEO and CEO of my third company. I get it. I understand it. Yeah. I think there's place. I think there's a place for for everything, right? Yeah. Um, with with a, with, a, with a couple of exceptions. Now, with, with that being said, you know what's interesting is to me, I think one of the greatest capitalistic things on the horizon that mm -hmm. I think business leaders today and the media are failing to recognize is that things like climate change and these things we just talked about, would you want an acronym? Here's an acronym for you. Justice, environment, diversity, inclusion spells Jedi. You know, if you, if, <laughs> if, 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 if you take those four things, yeah. if you think about the absolute sheer opportunity from a capitalistic perspective, the environmental climate change issue that we're facing in this country and the world is quite possibly the greatest capitalistic money maker opportunity in the history of society. Yeah. And why more companies are not understanding and embracing that, why more countries are not embracing that is beyond me. If you, you know, and I get that the oil companies have their say, but man, I'll tell you, the, the, you know, the, those oil companies have plenty of money to go start figuring out how to embrace these things. So if you think about it, every single thing whether it's your headphones, whether it's your clothes, the books behind mm -hmm. you, the frame, the drawers, those, mm -hmm. those, those, those handles, every chair you're sitting on, everything there has an opportunity to, to change. Yeah. And so everything has, so there's an opportunity there. So 
it, it's kind of hard to say. It's kind of hard to say that a particular leadership style, like like servant leadership, has a has has a has a conflict with stakeholder capitalism. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, because if that's the case, you wouldn't see all these ESG initiatives that are popping up in all these big corporations, which I think are really important. Because I think what's happening is the workforce is diversifying. So I, I think what you're seeing here is that we are the early stages of this workforce diversification, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only a matter of time. I think in the next five to 10 years, this is going to be an afterthought. I think this is going to be ingrained in everybody's heads because in the next 10 years, the 30-year-old millennials are going to be 40-somethings. And my 22-year-old and my 19-year-old sons, who are Gen Zers, are going to be in their early 30s, and they're going to have families, and so they're going to be, you know, mid-level or higher in the workforce, and so they're going to, they're, they're, they're this TikTok, Instagram generation, and by the way, they're the most connected generation in history, right, right, right? and so so they're going to they're going to be out there, and, and they're all growing up with people who have different pronouns or whatever the case mm-hmm. might be, and look, it might be it, it, it's it's new to me, this problem mm-hmm. might be new to you, mm-hmm. but it's not new to them. And it mm-hmm. won't be new to them in five or ten years, and so, so I, I I really have a lot of faith in them, and you know, and you know, people talk about you know that that boomer generation kind of being the you know, the, the, the generation that preceded boomers was the greatest generation. I really yeah. think that this I really think that the Gen Z Gen Alpha generation coming up could potentially eclipse them with all the challenges that they're facing if they find a way to really embrace the, the concepts like evolution of servant leadership and light leadership and these kinds of things. I mean, so, so this is the question that I, I've been ruminating on and, and since, and certainly since reading the book is because I, I totally hear what you're saying. I fully agree with, with the way that you describe this. And, and let me just say to our listeners that this is all the more reason to get and read the amazing book. Um, but I, but here, here's where I get stuck as, as a millennial. This is, this is where I get a little bit stuck on, on the concept, right? Is that to fully embrace, um, the, the external nature of what someone is perhaps dealing with in, in their life, what someone at your company, someone who works at your company is dealing with. When, when it comes to social justice, sometimes I have found, and I think, you know, and I can give you a couple of examples of how this has happened in, in food specifically, and maybe that's a, a good place for us to start. But I, I've found that there are some, there's some moments where the focus becomes the, uh, the activism instead of the company's mission. Or like, what are you specifically here to do? So like in health, like in, in the entire sort of like preventative health space, something that has struck me is that, you know, there are, they, February, the month of February from a, from a brand perspective, right, is, is both Black History Month and it's also Heart Health Month. The, uh, right, so it's both, it's about these two things that may seem like they're totally unrelated. But in order to do our collective best work for people, right? And depending on where you work and what type of company you come from and what, what type of, um, what type of products, let's say it's direct to consumer or it's, it's B2B, whatever, whatever your personal mission is, right? You could choose to activate certain things around either one of those, or perhaps both. But if, if there is sort of like an internal social justice component to 
to the workforce, or if as a servant leader, your inclination is to, to help make the people who work, who make up the workforce, the Gen Z's, the millennials, to help them feel like, um, reassured that your, that your company is as inclusive as possible, then then sometimes those things may need to require making choices with resources that you have on hand, right? So like using that example, if we really want to to make a fundamental difference and you're a health-focused company, you may choose to, to really lean in on the marketing of Heart Health Month, let's just say, versus Black History Month. But you, But that doesn't mean that you don't still care, obviously, about that, but it assuming the best in people i think we we sometimes get caught in the you know if if the workforce is, is going to then kind of clap back let's say to say I, I disagree i think that we should be more focused on black history month and why are we ignoring this and we shouldn't be ignoring this right then then there's kind of like this weighing of what is our priority as a company what what do we what's our unique purpose here to help everyone to better help themselves, right? I mean, do we, like, is there sometimes that kind of conflict or that, that sort of choice to make depending on where you are and what industry you work in and, and what your mission is? Yeah, and look, I think, you know, every organization has a choice to make. And one of the things I talk about is the fact that the more you can focus on passion and purpose, mm. the more you can focus on the culture that you can build at the company, the more you can improve the overall bottom line of your company. And the way you improve the bottom line of your company there is, by, by, by lowering your attrition rates, yeah. by potentially bringing new customers in, 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 into the window. Look, if you want, look, there's nothing saying that you can't support Black History Month and Heart Health yeah. at the same time, right? Now, right. it's you don't have to choose. You can, you can have your cake and eat it too by saying, look, of the of the 10 pieces of content we're going to put out, we're going to put out seven, seven pieces of content around um, heart, about, um, heart Health Month, and we're going to have three, three pieces of content that talk about how um, how um, Af how African American, Asian Americans, or whoever it might be, mm -hmm. how heart health is yes. maybe disproportionate in those underserved yeah. communities, right? Right, and you let the facts speak for themselves. For example, right. So in my company, for example, we don't have to worry about that. But I needed. I felt like I had to do something. So mm -hmm. back when the whole George Floyd thing happened, I was pretty. I was pretty. You know upset about the whole thing just like mm -hmm. everybody else was right and then you had the alma arbery case right he got lynched by those yeah. by that by that by that dad and gave him that friend and so you had all these things happening and so you know and then you had blm happening and then all, mm. and all lives matter and it's like okay guys right. <laughs> they're not saying right. all lives don't matter they're just right. saying look you know just hey just help us out a little bit right so anyway so you have all these things going on and so look i'm fairly liberal in my views and so but i also realize i have an organization of 140 150 employees and math tells me that there's a good chunk of them that probably don't support this. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. just what the math says, right? Based right. on facts. And so I said, well, what can I do? So the one of the things I decided to do was the best thing I found for organizations to do is let people get involved in their communities and give them that opportunity. So what I did was, and now we just did it now for the third year Love in a row, was we gave, uh, we give, so I give my company a paid day off to go vote on mm. November 7th. And we just did it. We, we, and, the whole company got the day off. They didn't have to use a personal day. They didn't have to call in sick. They get a pay, they got a paid day off to go. No one got a pay cut. Nothing. My, I paid. Yeah. And and people say, well, what if they voted by mail? Well, if they voted by mail. That's fine. Take a mental wellness day right. if you want to, or yeah. go get involved. Or I encourage my team to go get involved in the community. Go do a beach cleanup. Go right. Go go be a poll worker. 
go, go volunteer in your kid's school if you want, right? Or whatever it is you want to do, but just go feel like you're involved, right? Just yes. know that, just know that I've got your back and that you can go do that. So that, that one thing was probably the best thing I, I did as CEO of this, of this business for the last eight plus years because people love it. And they, they, they love it. And by the way, I know people who are Republicans, who are Democrats, who are independents, right. who are libertarians, and they all come to me and say, thank you for, for doing this. Yeah, yeah, because you know, and, it's and, the and, one and uniting it. factor. Like, it, right. it really brings unity through that simple action. I think that's, like, hugely powerful. Yeah. Right, because at the end of the day, and I think this last election proved it, is that you've got to exercise your, your, your right to vote. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got to get involved if you want things to change. You know, you're not, if you're not happy with what happened with Roe v. Wade, if you're not happy with certain things, mm -hmm. if you're not happy... Then go, then go get involved in the process and fix it and change it. And so, yeah. and to do that, you have to vote. So, so that's what we did. Yeah, I no, I think I think that's so important, and I think that that really speaks to your entire sort of thesis and the thesis behind the book, right? Is that this is this can these evolutions don't have to enlighten doesn't have to mean a, a specific ideology. It can mean yeah. that you give people the ability to foster and find their own opinion and to have their own ideas. And I think there's some real like that is that's a truly that is a truly uniting force versus anything that, that results in more divisiveness because i feel like no one needs that right now yeah huh. and in the book look in the book i talk about examples of poor leadership right i talk yeah. about i talk about president clinton and monica lewinsky yeah and that was poor i'm sorry it was yes. poor yeah you know I, I talk about how there was these issues with the workforce with ellen degeneres mm -hmm. right mm-hmm but I equally, yeah. but then I, but I equally talk about how if I had done one of the things that the former president had done, I probably would have been fired from my job. Right. <laughs> right? right. I talk about yeah. him, you know, and you, you kind of, if you're writing a leadership book, you kind of got to talk about him, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, so, so, I mean, so, you know, I talk about Lincoln, about how I talk. So it's interesting. One of the, another part of the book I love is that I tell that story of, of these two lawyers yeah. <laughs> yes. and how one yes. lawyer did this great stuff and this other lawyer went the other way. And the lawyer that they're, they're both Republicans. And mm -hmm. one lawyer embraced certain values and be mm -hmm. and is President Lincoln. The other one was President Nixon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And so, you know, you have certain choices to make as an individual and as a human being. And I just choose to make the decision that says, what are the, what can I do to empower the communities I serve the most? And I believe that those five examples I talked about earlier that make up that word mm -hmm. great are the five key factors. And as long as I think as you're working, as long as you're transparent and you leave from a place of gratitude and, and you, you built this resilient organization and you're listening to empathy and you hold people, look, accountability is important. Yeah. You know, I, I think of all those five that are there, accountability is the one that probably gets shortchanged a little bit, but you know, accountability is, man, if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. You know, it doesn't mean you're it's like, this is not an organization where you just keep your job forever. No, if you F up, right. if you continually make mistakes, there's going to be rep repercussions. So you're going to be held accountable. But at the same time, you're going to get you're going to get taken care of, but you also are going to be held accountable. And I think that's yeah. what we have to do to ourselves. We have to do that to our elected officials. We have to do that to um, those around us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the the one that um, that I, I was thinking about you saying at, about you mentioning accountability in the context of your background in in really in data analytics also, right? I mean, there, there's something to be said for having data, using that data to hold oneself accountable, to also be able to use data to put it into meaningful action, and then make sure that you're staying accountable to those actions, right? I just, I just feel like there's something very empowering also about the, the data component of all of this, right? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So think about you, right? Like mm-hmm. what you do, you're, what you're doing when you're not doing this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have clients from all over the country, all over the world that mm-hmm. say, hey, I want to lose weight. Well, if you, well, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? right? And that's accountability. And so we all know abs are built in the kitchen. And so look, I, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't have the greatest focus on my health. Yeah. But when COVID hit, I started focusing a lot more on my health. I'm, I'm, I've started to move maybe to a bit, I'm not, I'd say maybe 20% of my life is a bit more of a vegan type of a lifestyle. Um, one of my challenges, I'm not getting enough protein in my diet. So how do I keep upping protein? I'm trying, you know, different things like that. When I yeah. hang up with you, I'm probably going to go do cryotherapy and maybe hit the sauna real quick and then wow. come back. And so, so, you know, so my point is I'm trying to do different things. And so, yeah. but those are things like if you are my coach, you know, you're going to want to hold me accountable. Otherwise, you're, otherwise I'm wasting your time. Like I'm sure you can do other things than just talk to some guy who's not eating right. You, you probably told him, Hey, I want you to do these three things. And if I do none of them and I get on my call next week and I haven't done any of them, I'm like, well, why am I wasting my time? Sure. You can pay me my whatever money I'm paying you. But at yeah. some point you're like, you know what? It's not worth the time and effort. I'll go find a different client who I actually get, get some satisfaction with. So the accountability <laughs> becomes really important. You know, what's funny about that is that as you were saying it, I'm thinking to myself, no, I mean, I, the, my first reaction would be, I need to change my approach, right? Like, so because like if I give you three things and you're not doing any of them, then I mean I can't tell you that's most that's most people. I think most dietitians listening now in practice would probably agree with that, right? Is that it? There's a for me that's a self reflection moment of like, okay, this is not it's not um, life personalized and lifestyle friendly enough. The recommendations I'm giving because if they're not simple enough for you to start putting into place immediately, then I'm not communicating effectively. Is, is where I would, that's where I yeah, would go. And, with that. And, that, and that may be the case one or two times. Yeah. But yeah. At some point it's like, okay, dude, right. this is on you. <laughs> By the way, I've got to give a shout out to, you know, lentils, chickpeas, beans, peas, the pulse crops. I feel like that's the perfect way for you to get a little additional protein. I mean, you've got, there's, there's no, there's what can't a lentil do? Not much. They, they can do most everything. I would say. <laughs> I know, but I got to go put them in water and soak them. Oh, what about soak the up. canned, the canned yeah. versions? Just a little drain, a little drain and rinse, rinse uh, and drain. No, uh, I mean the cans were the cans were made for a reason. I, I feel the cans are cans are an underrated innovation of our time. Anyway, I wish I, wish, I need to find a can where I can just drain it, throw it in the microwave for thirty seconds, and pull it out and. And all in one can. That's interesting. I like that idea. The the Jacqueline London School of Protein all in one can. I might might have to coin that. All right. So before before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about media and, and kind of leave us with that. I would yeah. love to hear. What a great our, topic to end on. What a fun topic for us. to What a way to elevate at the end. Um, but I, I love your perspective about, I, I think it's a fascinating perspective, but I just don't think that people in my, in my little corner of the world speak about this enough, which is that the, 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 um, conflict online discourse and conflict and flashy headlines, whether they're meant to enrage or I, I, I rarely see headlines that are really meant to inspire. I feel like most headlines are meant to are meant to either enrage or say, or kind of give you this aspirational but you know idea. But do you know why? Yes. Tell, well, t- yes, but you tell us, I want to hear okay, from you. First, let me tell you this. So I'm in B2B media and B2B right. media is very benign. There's yeah. no, there's no outrage in B2B headlines. Oh, Amazon's <laughs> new web services. Oh my God. 
you know, whatever. It's like, oh, <laughs> what, what a sexy looking machine. No, that doesn't happen. In, in right. 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 There's no, there, there are no sex tapes on Amazon. Right. Services, right? So, but here's the thing. Media, I hate traditional B2C business, you know, know. so B2C media is horrendous. Fox Bad. News, CN, you know, uh, MSNBC, CNN. Yep. I don't like any of them. The only like news media I like is Jon Stewart or like, or The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, which he's just retired from there. I love, like, my favorite thing to watch, like, I'll, like, I'll watch on Sunday morning is Saturday Night Live Weekend Update with Colin Jess and Mike Jadwell. But that, that's, like, my favorite media right there. Like, that, I get my news from these ding dongs, right? So it's awesome. Right. So, but, but I hate traditional media, right? Yeah. And the reason why is because controversy creates cash. Yes. The more controversial you are in your clickbait headlines, mm-hmm. the more you're going to people are going to click through, the more advertising dollars you're going to make, the more people are going to read it, the more the more the more the people at the marketing groups are going to say, oh, salespeople, look, go to so-and-so and say, hey, we got 30% more engagement, blah, blah, blah. And they have to have these, and it's these clickbait controversial art that makes sense. Look, all these guys are, it doesn't matter if you're on the far left or the far right, but they exist in terms of media and they, and they have an audience because they're so controversial. But right. someone asked me the other day, so someone said, well, gee, if Trump wanted to come and do an interview in one of your properties, mm. would you say yes? You know, the inside of me says no, right? But, <laughs> yes. but you know, but when I sit there and I look at it, like, I probably can make $10 million in ad right. Absolutely. And I could give, and I could take care of every one of my employees, give them raises. I can hire right. more people. We can expand to new areas. It's like, you know, and let me tell you something. The margin in media is like 80%. It's, it's amazing, right? And these yeah. guys are making a killing. It's the reason why Jeff Bezos bought Washington, Washington Post. Washington Post, the why, yeah. The reason why Mark Benioff bought Time Magazine. There's a reason why, you know, Patrick Soon-Shiong, who's a part owner of the Laker and the cancer guy, yeah, uh, uh, bought the LA Times. Um, there's a reason why, although I think he's been over his head, Elon Musk bought Twitter and, yeah. and all these things. It's because they're such, you know, and so, but at the end of the day, it's this controversy creates cash and it's the controversy is clickbait stuff. Because what happens is people just see the headline and they don't bother clicking into the article sometimes. Yes. If they do, they read the first four or five sentences and they don't go down to the meat of what it's really trying to say. And yeah. like, I'll give you a small example. So I, I wrote an article a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And it was about, maybe maybe longer, maybe 10 years ago. And it was about Amazon saying they're going to pull out of California because they don't want to create LexisNexis in the state. And that LexisNexis- I saw that, yeah, yes. And so, so, so the LexisNexis is when they say, look, if you're going to have an office in California, you have to now start collecting sales tax in California. Mm. And Amazon said, we're going to pull out of California. And I wrote an article and it went on CNBC. And my hypothesis was, look, this sucks. California needs Amazon because it's yeah. good for all these reasons. It's shorter delivery times. It's going to create more jobs, blah, 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 right? Right. And the editor at CNBC said, Kapoor supports taxes on, on, on consumers, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's right. Not, You're like, that's not numbers. what I said. That's not what right. I said. Yeah. But they wrote this clickbait article, and I had this guy reach out to me. You're, you're a dumbass. You're a jerk. You're an idiot, oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, and so I'm like, really? You didn't even read the article. Read the article, and then let's have a conversation. And so my point is, is that the media is designed to get eyeballs. Yep. And those eyeballs generate cash. And that cash is what drives the stock price. And that stock price is how the executives make their bonuses. That's what I'll follow the money. And that's the problem with media today. Yes. I mean, 1,000%. I mean, to, to, give you, to give you a perfect aligned example, the number of 
articles that I have read. And I, and when I was at Good Housekeeping, I was deciding on the headline and sometimes that would be edited or at the discretion to, to be able to change based on digital editorial, like if they saw something shift in SEO. But if I was writing the headline, then there's a, there's a huge benefit for me as a dietitian, right? To be able to write an article that says 25 flat belly foods. I, I know my scientific, my scientific credibility is on the line, right? I know that just the headline, if you read nothing else, then my scientific credibility is on the line because I'm a dietitian saying that something exists that doesn't, which is a flat belly food <laughs> because there's no such thing, right? right? But right, you but, get yeah, into the article yeah. and you get to read all of the information I'm providing. And the first thing in the introduction is, let's be honest, there's no such thing as a flat, right? But if you just read the headline, then, then there's a way to do this in a way that is intellectually honest, but also gets clicks. But that's such a nuance that I think some of these newer platforms are playing with, like like TikTok, for example, where the algorithm, because of the way that this algorithm has been designed, is meant to be focused on subject matter. So if you're searching for a subject matter, if you're consuming content based on a certain subject matter, you might get expertise leading the actual content narrative. But traditional media has yet to actually be able to, to marry those things. So you find yourself yeah. in this situation where it's just fully biased no matter what you choose or doing things like that where your words have been fully manipulated. Look, look and, I, and I don't blame the organizations for doing this. That's the, ultimately their jobs to do this is how they generate yeah. profitability for their business and cash flow. And it's capitalism, right? I'm just yeah. not a fan of the way they do it. It's like, I'm not a fan of yes. these extreme right. craziness. You know, look, Alex Jones is in business because he gets so right. nuts and people watch him, right? Yeah. So, and so, but but you're, but you're let me go back to your example of, you know, 25 flat belly foods, right? Right. That was probably fine a few years ago. Right. But but if you think about media today, you know, and you're in the aisle, it might be twenty five flat belly foods and the reason why the reason why people the reason why people hate liberals is because of twenty five because they're pushing the vegan agenda or whatever it is, right? Mm. It's like twenty five it might be twenty five uh, flat belly foods and the reasons to hate blueberries or whatever you know what i mean so so my point is, is that someone is going to find a way to yeah. out headline you yeah yeah right and because social media and because everything is now 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 immediate 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 it's yeah it's you know it's instant gratification at, at the ultimate speed of light it's you know it's it's you have no choice in some cases right I think that's a real problem for society especially when you don't click through the article and read it Totally, totally. And it it ultimately really forgets the end user. Like the end user is a consumer who just wants to know what the hell to do or like what, what to buy at the grocery store, right? right. Like it, it sort of loses sight of that. So anyway, I seriously appreciate your time and being with me and talking to, talking to our listeners about so many really fascinating topics. I feel like we could talk for about eight hours, but I have to let you get to your cryotherapy and your lentils. Your, and the lentils. I just, I just made that up, but I'm going to vote for lentils for you to have for lunch today. And, um, please tell our listeners, where can people find the book, find you, learn more about 1105 and, and perhaps even consider working with you. Maybe this is true lead generation, but also it should very much be about chasing greatness, right? Chasing greatness. Yes, absolutely. So, so obviously the book's available on Amazon. It's available in Kindle format, hardcover format. And it's now rolling out an audiobook format. So it's actually available on Amazing. Spotify via an audiobook. So you have to go to Spotify.com and put in the yes. title of the book, Chase Greatness, or put my name in, Rajiv Kapoor, and it'll come up. And then you buy it there, then it'll end up on your Spotify app that way. So that's the way it's slowly rolling out to other 
uh, audio books. Go ahead. Amazing. Did you, did you narrate the book? I didn't. Okay. I, didn't. I was a little okay. nervous about narrating it. And, you know, everything I heard is that you got to got to really lock yourself in the studio for two weeks. And, and I just didn't really have that time in that winter to do totally. it. Although totally. Although if I write another book, I'll probably narrate it. But the good news yeah. is it's only about six and a half hour for an audio book. So it's not too bad. Amazing. Uh, and then, uh, so uh, 11.05, you can find, go to 1105media.com. You can find more information there and our different B2B services. Uh, LinkedIn, people can Google, you can people go into LinkedIn and, and find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with them. You know, I, I do uh, I do, do some executive kind of coaching for people who need it. And so, so feel free to reach out and, you know, and I have my own website. If you want to go to rajivkapoor.com, you can go check that as well. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's easy to find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and I'm at the Rajiv Kapoor. So feel free to come up <laughs> on Instagram if you want. So anyways, amazing, fantastic, Rajiv. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I you, appreciate Jacqueline, it so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide, it may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.